0: Welcome, and thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most bizarre, the most mind-boggling, high-profile homicide cases occurring in Maryland, they are examined, they are discussed, and they are profiled. Now, for this season, season six, the focus is on robbery-related murders. so basically any type of murderers where the the killer they wanted what the victim had basically they was killed simply because they had something that they wanted and like i said in the last episode trust and believe the state of Maryland. they have a lot of these types of homicides and i only selected 10 of the 10 cases 10 of the most horrific robbery related cases and this is only part one part two will come out later eventually But for right now, Season 6, I only focused on 10 of the most horrific, brutal cases that have a robbery motive to them. And all of these cases occur in the state of Maryland. So with that being said, let's get right on into it and focus on this week's episode. And on this episode, the shooting murder of Councilman Kenneth Harris will be profiled And as in each and every episode that has been profiled before this one, there will be an unsolved homicide that needs special attention that will also be profiled. And for this episode, the unsolved shooting murder of 21-year-old Lyric Brown will be examined. Now, this next case is about the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean... In an instant, your life can be over. Living or just being in Baltimore City, people always say, "Oh, you you can get killed living in the county," or the same thing can happen to you in other states too. And you know, all of that can be true. Yeah, you can get murdered in in the county, in Baltimore counties, and the surrounding counties, and stuff like that. And you can get murdered in any other in another state or whatever. But trust when I tell you trust and believe what i tell you as a fellow baltimorean you have a higher chance of being murdered in baltimore city than you do anywhere else right now i mean well i can't even say that not in the united states but you have a higher chance of being murdered in baltimore city than you do anywhere else in the state of maryland let's just keep it real i mean according to uh vibes.com you have a 1 in 54 chance of becoming a victim of a violent crime in Baltimore City. Simple as that. 1 in 54. That means 1 out of every 54 people have a chance of becoming a victim of a violent crime in Baltimore City. That's that's kind of hot. I mean, in the city of Bodymore Murderland, the mentality of the whole, I mean, uh, this, this whole mentality of I don't give a fuckness, basically. It's higher in the city of Baltimore for some reason. I mean, I don't understand it, but killers and criminals just don't give a fuck here. They don't care who they kill man, woman, or child. They just don't give a shit. Anybody can get in the crossfire of a flying bullet, and anybody can get it. Nobody is immune to it. 45 year old Councilman Kenneth Harris, he was different. He was different from what you typically see in black boys being raised in Baltimore City. Born and raised by a single teenage mother in the Park Heights neighborhood of West Baltimore City, well, of Northwest Baltimore City, it was seen that Kenneth's future was typically pretty much doomed. But despite the odds of being raised, of you know, in poverty and being raised by a single mother, even as a young kid. Kenneth had big dreams. He was born with big aspirations. He was one of those type of kids who he just knew he wanted something different. And he was determined to make something of himself, regardless of where he lived at. Kenneth graduated from Dunbar Senior High School, where he excelled in baseball. And he was devoted most valuable player of his baseball team in 1981. Kenneth would have had a future in baseball because he had been drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates, but Instead, he chose to further his education and he went to Morgan State University, where he earned his bachelor's degree in business administration. Kenneth got a job at Care First uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield before moving on to working for Comcast Cable Company. He had a love for Baltimore City and a deep desire to better his community and to help the surroundings of where he came from. He had a... Big desire to give back and help the citizens of Baltimore City. So he added, he made the decision to run for city council, and he decided to add some political experience to his, you know, ever-growing resume. His, you know, basically his his growing repertoire, I should say. And in uh, 1999, Kenneth was elected to the Baltimore City Council, where he represented the fourth district which is the East Belvedere, Chickapin, Govins, over that way by Loch Reven that whole area over there. Kenneth realized that he had a passion for public service and helping his community. And in 2005, Kenneth um, established and created an organization called the Bridge to Manhood. That was basically like an organization or a company, a program where black men who are successful. They've managed to make something out of themselves in their lives. They go into the schools, uh, city, um, Baltimore City Schools, basically and try to to them, try to get them to change their, their, uh, their actions if they're doing stuff that's illegal. Basically, try to get them to uh, cope with growing up in poverty in the city of Baltimore. I mean, how amazing is that? The, the following year after he created this organization, after serving two terms as Councilman for the 4th District, um, Kenneth ran for City Council President, but he lost to another candidate. According to Wikipedia, Kenneth chaired the Education, Housing, Health, and Human Services Committee and he was a member of the Landfill and Transportation Committee. He later chaired the Highway and Franchise Subcommittee and while serving as councilman, Kenneth was also happily married and the father of two children. Kenneth was president of Leaf Elementary School, PTA, and he was the coach for the Northwood Baseball League. So, like I said, no diss towards any other citizen living in Baltimore City, but Kenneth was a little bit different. He, not only had he done, quote unquote, all the right things in his life and beaten the odds that he had basically been stacked up against him, but he was also given back to his community, still trying to make a change, still loving Baltimore City, still trying to make this his home. He still loved his district, and it would be the same community where he did all this work where Kenneth would be murdered. The New Haven Lounge, uh, or basically the, the Haven Lounge that used to be in the 1500 block of Havenwood Avenue in the Northwood shopping center off of Lock Raven Boulevard in Northeast Baltimore. It was like a bar lounge where people could come in, drink, they could dance, listen to jazz, party, meet people or whatever. It wasn't like too rowdy compared to other nightclubs in Baltimore. That used to be, here, you know, like Odell's and Hammerjacks and uh, 32nd Street Plaza, the old school ones. I mean, it, it wasn't as rowdy as they used to be because I guess because they had jazz or whatever. But either way, the bar stayed open late, stayed open seven days a week. So sometimes, you know, midnight to two in the morning, whatever. So around 1.30 a.m. on the night of September 30th, 2018, Kenneth knew the owner of the bar and he decided to drive over there because he needed to use the, the restroom. And he needed to get a corkscrew to open up a bottle of wine that he had planned to share with a female friend of his that he had in the car with him. So the owner of the bar comes out of the come out with the corkscrew, and you know he gave it to Kenneth. When the bar owner started walking uh, Kenneth back to his car, out of nowhere, uh, 20-year-old Gary Collins, 15-year-old Jerome Williams, and 19-year-old Charles Charles McKinney. They all wore bandanas and a ski mask that looked like it was from like the movie screen. I mean, they covered their faces, they did all this, they approached the bar around they they, posted, they approached the bar owner and Kenneth, who had been standing outside. One of the men put a gun to the bar owner's head and ordered the bar owner to go back in the bar while the others ordered Kenneth to stand against a wall for a robbery probably out of sheer reaction, sheer reflexes, and shook for what was happening. He probably couldn't even believe it, but Kenneth took off running towards his car instead. The bar owner later told homicide detectives that he heard one shot as he himself was forced at gunpoint to go back inside the club. One of the gunmen fired a shot and the bullet went through the passenger side window missed a female that was sitting in the passenger seat and hit Kenneth in the back. With a bullet in his back, Kenneth managed to make it to his Toyota that was parked close to the club, or the bar. He sat in the driver's seat of the car, probably still in complete shock while the woman in the passenger seat screamed for him to drive off. But Kenneth slumped forward in the car, unconscious, with a blood stain on his shirt that grew bigger with each passing second. The female passenger in the car later testified in court saying, I don't remember hearing a sound. I just thought that the car shook. I was terrified. I couldn't believe what was happening. I was screaming and yelling and telling him to drive, but the entire time he was silent. Now, the Toyota sped forward before it rolled on a sidewalk and almost crashed into a tree and landed in, like, a grassy area. Meanwhile, back at the nightclub, the men robbed seven people who had been in the club for a late-night staff meeting. They forced the owner to open the safe that was in the club, and they took the $2,000 that was in the safe. Then they took more cash from the owner out his pockets and his money clip, making off with even more money. As all three of the men escaped out the back door of the bar, the club owner grabbed his gun. He grabbed his own gun that he kept in a drawer and he shot off three shots, but didn't hit nobody. The police were called and Kenneth was rushed to John Hopkins Hospital, where he was pronounced dead at around 2 a.m. With Kenneth's funeral held at the Murphy Fine Arts Building at his alma mater, Morgan State University, more than 1,500 people, including former Governor Robert Ehrlich, the governor who was the governor at the time, uh, the current governor at the time, uh, Martin O'Malley, Senator Ben Cardin, and Congressman Dutch Ruppersberger, all were in attendance, and they paid their respect to the councilman who had pretty much dedicated his life to public service for Baltimore City. To pay their respect, all Merlin state flags were flown at half-staff on the day of his funeral. A few hours after Kenneth was shot, one of the purses that the men had stolen from the people that they had robbed in the club was found in a trash can a few blocks away from the bar. Inside the purse were uh, the surgical gloves that the men had used in the robbery, the club owner's money clip. And the bandanas and ski masks well not ski masks, but the the masks that looked like the movie screen that had been used. And at first, for four months there were no arrests made, nobody being questioned, but when the DNA that was found on the gloves and masks were tested, the DNA was linked to Gary, Jerome and Charles. And guess what? Of course, you guessed it, all three had already had criminal records for armed robbery and handgun convictions. And probably shouldn't even have been out on the streets in the first place. But see, that's what Baltimore City or Baltimore Period is known for. Releasing people that got records. I don't I don't get that, but that's what we're known for. All three were charged with first degree murder, robbery, and handgun related charges. Of course, just for you know, shits and giggles, and because they ain't had nothing else better to do, they all pled not guilty. Why? I don't even know. At one point The prosecutors even had one of them on video walking away from the crime scene holding the damn Halloween mask. Both Jerome and Charles were convicted of all charges, but Gary was acquitted of murder charges, but found guilty of robbery, assault, and handgun charges. Ten years after Kenneth was shot and killed, ten years later, in September of 2018, the Leithwalk Recreation Center in Northeast Baltimore was renamed the Kenneth N. Harris Senior Community Center. Now, Jerome and Charles got life sentences. Jerry got 60 years. Um, of course, they were found guilty. Now, to be the reason why this was so notorious in the state of Maryland, I mean, come on, he was a councilman. And to be shot in the same district that you represent, come on now. That that says a lot about Baltimore. It really do. It, it really do. I mean, I wish I knew what the history of, you know, what the history is of why Baltimore City in particular is so violent That's since I've been alive, you know, it's always been that way. I mean, I always, for this particular case, I always felt sorry for the kids that were involved. I really did for some reason. I mean, it, it was just, wow, a councilman? I truly believe that the killers in this particular case they didn't know that he was a councilman they did not know that he was that uh kenneth was basically um as popular as he was and had done so much for the city not saying that that would have made a difference to these men but they just i'm quite sure they had no idea who he was and it was never really like determined who the actual shooter was, because they all blamed it on each other so much. But basically, to be honest, prosecution and the court didn't even really care. They wanted the same sentence for all of them. And they all got hefty sentences. Didn't matter who the shooter was. Y'all were there. So, you know, like I said, that says a lot about uh, the crime and homicides in the city of Baltimore. It really do. I mean, (laughs) they shot the shooter councilman. Wow. that's This is why this is this made the list of one of the most notorious robbery-related murders occurring in Maryland. And I remember when this happened, I was thinking, like, wow, they ain't gonna waste no time to find out who did this. It took them, it took them you know, a hot minute, but uh, they still found out who did it. I knew they weren't gonna give up on it. And, like I said, this was the reason why it was so notorious is because... Leave us a councilman Now, moving on to this week's unsolved homicide. But before I do, let me just say that I know this podcast seems like it gives a lot of attention to murders or high-profile murders and the murderers themselves and stuff like that. It's not a po- podcast that focuses on just those type of homicides. You know, just it's not that type of. This is not, on this podcast, a portion will always, always be dedicated to the victims where nobody knows what happened, where there's not a lot of information, basically. And their their cases don't always make the Baltimore Sun or they wasn't necessarily a person that people would remember or like a notable person or something like that. Um, Their cases don't always make the news or the Baltimore Sun, nothing like that. Um, That's why... The attention is brought here. I mean, these cases when nobody knows, or should I say where nobody is saying nothing about what happened. The cases like where a victim was literally here one minute, then gone the next minute. And you'd be surprised at the number of people who are killed and friends or family of the victim. They may have a feeling that they know who killed their loved one, but because they can't prove it, or they don't have the actual evidence, they don't know how to go about getting the answers you know they don't know how to go about getting justice for the victim and they still left with tons of unanswered questions unbelievable grief and it's like the victim just died all over again and you expect it to just move on with your life you know a therapy can't fix everything it's hard to just move on with your life like that when you have so many unanswered questions i mean people don't that have not been in that situation y'all have no idea what that feels like you're stuck it's like you're stuck in the past you're stuck in on that day and you cannot move on until you get answers whether it's good answers or bad answers or whatever you want to hear you still need answers you're expected to just move on with your life you know pick up where you left off and hope that the detectives will do their jobs and then hope that after they do their jobs That the justice system, that's another whole part to it, that the justice system will deliver you some sort of justice that can come an iota close to the feeling that you experience when you lose a loved one to homicide. There's never going to be no justice for that. You know, getting justice in the state of Maryland don't happen a lot. Trust me. And to be blunt, detectives are kept busy with homicide cases that already have clues These cases that already have witnesses, cases where people are willing to come to court and they're not scared to testify, and cases that already have you know evidence. But what about the homicide cases that don't have no clues? What about the homicide cases where it seems like it happened in front of a million witnesses and ain't nobody saying anything? That it's been going on for years and years and years. Somebody knows something. These cases that there nobody comes forward, nobody says anything. These cases are eventually labeled as cold cases and put on the back burner, so to speak. To be honest, not a real not a lot really is done. You know, not a lot is done. Um nothing happens. Cases stay it's not like the you know, a detective stays on that particular case only. Nothing happens until evidence just seemingly just falls out of the sky or something. I mean until somebody opens up their mouth and talk, how do y'all think cases get solved? It's not because detectives do what you see on the TV and go from door to door and do groundwork. And it's not no that really kind of maybe that happens in you know small states, but I'm telling you right now that does not happen in Baltimore City. You know, not for each and every homicide like that. We would have no homicide detectives. I mean, it would be it would be impossible to do that for each each and every homicide that we have in the state of Maryland. So some cases do get push to the wayside you know that's what this podcast is for that's what this portion right here of this podcast is for because on this podcast every single unsolved homicide needs attention no matter what the victim did or didn't do no matter what the victim's lifestyle was like no matter what they did or didn't do in their personal life who the hell are we to judge somebody when we ain't perfect our damn self that kills me i mean you got excuses like, oh, their way of thinking to justify everything while a person gets killed. That gets me like every single time. Who are we to des- decide who deserves to live and who deserves to die? Wow, I mean, oh, oh this, this person got killed because they was out here tricking. Or this person got killed because they was out here selling drugs and he deserved it. Or this person got shot because he was a snitch. Or he got killed because he shouldn't have been getting high in the first place like do you hear yourself really the last time i checked ain't none of y'all named god nobody is perfect and we all make mistakes like i just i don't understand that justification of killing somebody so with that being said the focus for season six unsolved homicides has been all women all women who have lost their life to homicides in the state of Maryland. they are the focus and will be the focus for this episode's Unsolved Homicide. And this particular episode's Unsolved Homicide is the shooting murder of 21-year-old Lyric Brown. On Saturday, July 10th, 2021, a little after 1 a.m., someone shot 21-year-old Lyric Brown at the intersection of Sorley Road and Old Providence Way in Cockeysville. The police were called, and when they showed up, they found Lyric lying in the middle of the street, shot in the upper body. Lyric was rushed to a local hospital where she was pronounced dead. Lyric, who was from the 300 block of Wellingboro Way in Cockeysville, not too far from the shooting scene, had a two-year-old daughter who she was devoted to. She completely devoted her life to taking care of her. The detectives don't have any clues or new information in this unsolved homicide but they need your help i know somebody knows what happened on this one i mean this happens out in cockiesville not a lot of i won't say not a lot of homicides happen out there but they caught this particular block it really don't that's a quiet block you know somebody shot the mother of a two-year-old daughter so do the right thing people i mean come on now the girl was a mother If you have any information at all that can lead to an arrest or a conviction in this unsolved homicide, Baltimore County detectives would like to hear from you, and you can reach them at 410 307 2020. You can also reach them at Crime Stoppers, which is 1 866 7 Lockup. Once again, You can reach Baltimore County Homicide Detectives at 410-307-2020. You can also reach them at 1-866-7-LOCKUP. You can remain anonymous, people, and there is a $2,000 reward for any information leading to an arrest or conviction in this homicide. I do like that name, Lyric. Um... And like I said this girl was a young mother and this crime is not that old it did happen in 2021 but let's not wait and let's not be what let's not have this be one of those cases where it's like oh it's been 10 years and nothing happened I mean come on now somebody knows something about this one I'm surprised this went on for for this long somebody knows what happened in this particular case I just got a feeling because of the area, because of who she was. Somebody knows something in this one. So do the right thing and call the detectives at 410-307-2020. Remain anonymous. You can also reach them at one 7 lockup Thank you for tuning in this week. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine tingling, hair-raising, eye-popping episodes. Also, for paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, raw, the unedited truth of why I do what I do, why I got into true crime, why I started writing all true books and, you know, the podcast and all of that. A lot of people think I just woke up one day and out of the blue and was just like, boom, you know what? I'm going to start me a podcast. But nope, that is not even true. There is a full-blown method to all of this madness. And this wasn't just some overnight sensation, some overnight gimmick. Also, to be sure to check out uh, the new website. And the website is called Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com. But Maryland is spelled MDS. So it's Maryland's Most Notorious Murders.com, where you can access episodes from past seasons one through five. And you can catch up on any episodes that you have missed. You can also find links to all of the true crime books that are related to this podcast, entitled "Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990 through 2008," Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume One, and my upcoming "Maryland's Most Notorious Murders from 2009 to 2020." You can also check out uh, my local bestsellers. Until I get caught, A True Baltimore Story, that story, that book is not about homicides, but it's about a brutal, brutal rapist. The conversations that I've had with, he was uh, known as the Martin Luther King Boulevard Rapist. Trust me, every female should check that out. You can also check out uh, my local real life books uh, entitled uh, Junkie A True Baltimore Story, Child of Baltimore. Uh, Doping a pill, and also Lady change the baby to the bed. Be sure to tune in next week, where another gruesome, high-profile homicide occurring in Maryland will be examined. It will be profiled, and it will be discussed on Maryland's most notorious murders. And it will also be the season finale of the robbery-related murders. And for season seven, trust me. I got 10 of the next cases. You ain't even going to believe what the topic is. So you're going to want to check out uh, Season 7, which should be coming up right after uh, Episode 10, which is next week. Now, like I said, it these cases will be examined, they will be discussed, and they will be profiled on Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. And this has been... A Savage Life production.